Today's reading uh, comes from Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 67 through 80. And it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, uh, saying, Blessed be, the, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and in forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the ways of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Our church is a gospel-centered. That's what we say. It's like right at the. It's like our number one. It's our number one value, right? That we're centered in the gospel. And so, what I want to say is, we aren't really interested in just carrying on Christian traditions. Okay, uh, we aren't seeking to church according to tradition or culture, and that doesn't mean we're against Christian tradition and we're not against Christian culture. But that's not really where our focus is. Instead. What we're interested in is asking you to live in the fullness of the promises of salvation given wholly by grace through faith in Jesus. So, you know, some of what we do sometimes may look like Christmas according to culture. Some of this is kind of like traditional Christmas culture, which I like, by the way, right? And I hope some of you like it. And But think about this in our city there are people who will move into this city, and they're from, like, South India. And at this time of year, it's very, very warm, and there is no snow, and there is no white Christmas on the radio. And what they'll see everywhere where they go is Hindu stuff, because Hindus like to, you know, celebrate their gods. They have many, many gods, right? And so... This is a little bit of what Christmas according to culture looks like, but this is all strange for them. And, you know, if you are from South India and you're joining our worship today, well, thank you. And, uh, but I don't want you to, like, focus on the, 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 the decorations and Christmas according to culture. What we want is Christmas according to the gospel. That's what we're here to focus on today. And I want to just say that as we get into our... We're going to have four weeks... Just focusing on Advent, and as our and, you know, as the moons did in our in our candle lighting today, Advent means coming. It's about the first coming of Jesus as our Savior, and so, um, and what I want to focus on today is that Christmas, according to the gospel, not Christmas according to traditions or according to culture. Christmas according to the gospel is really a powerful way to break the darkness of whatever the world's secular narrative is, is trying to impose upon us. 
Everybody has to live inside of a story. And whatever your story is, if the story's going well, you'll be happy. <laughs> and if the story's going bad, you'll feel bad. But what if the whole story already right from the get-go tells you you're nothing? So it, it doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter. The whole story, the world that the, the story that the world is telling you is you're not much. I know some people are starting to feel that today. Everybody, there's always some time in history somebody feels that. Because whatever stories that the world uses, some people feel like, I'm doing re really well in this story, and we feel good about ourselves. Or, I'm doing really bad in this story, or I'm a bad guy in this story. And one of the things I want to say is, Advent, Christmas, there's a much bigger story which I'm hoping to break whatever world story that you think is, that you're living in. And we're going to look at a story of a couple who are very much, you know, kind of like they're oppressed by the, the secular narrative of their time, okay? So let's get into it. Part one, wholly defined by the world. Wholly defined by the world. What we're trying to tell you is you do not have to be wholly defined by the world. God gets a bigger say in how he gets to define you. But part one, I want to talk about wholly defined by the world. Part two, the darkness of secular narratives. I know we live in sunny California. It doesn't feel, doesn't seem very dark, but I think it's pretty dark. I want to say a little something about that. And part three, out of the darkness through gospel promise. Out of the darkness through gospel promise. So just to start, our brother read an incredible passage from Luke chapter 1. And the person speaking is a man named Zechariah. And if you maybe didn't grow up in the church, even if you did grow up in the church, you might know. Who the heck is Zechariah? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up a little bit. And he says this poetic and incredible thing, which really ultimately gets at He's talking about his son is going to be born, and then his son is going to be the one who is a prophet and a preacher who prepares the way for the birth of the Messiah. So the person he's actually going to, that's referencing in that particular poetic portion is actually his son, and you, you know him better as John the Baptist. So that's who Zechariah is. He's the father of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the one who preaches and, pro, and, and prepares the way for the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus, okay? And so what I want to do is just start by reading the background portion. Just listen, okay? Just listen. This is actually the earlier portion of the chapter, and this is really right after the opening portion of the Gospel of Luke. This is where, where it goes, okay? This is Luke chapter 1, verse 3, and I, I deliberately didn't give this to our brother. to, to fly. I just want you to hear it, okay? So listen to the story. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So, that's name, same name as my daughter, okay? And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. So you just hear that right there? So 
just a few verses, and you get a little feel for these people. They're beautiful people, but they're old, and they can't have kids. Okay? Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. <laughs> that's, a, that, that, that's a very nice way of saying basically he was scared out of his mind. All right? And fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Just stop for a moment. Just imagine if, like, one of the pastors, you know, we're getting ready. Everybody's kind of gathering for service. And then one of us comes out, and I'm, like, ter completely, let's say it's me. I'm, like, completely terrified. This is what's happening. It's like right before church, except, you know, there it's in the temple. And he's terrified. And the angel says, God has heard your prayers. What's that prayer? Because they want children. That's the prayer. And I'm not sure when he said this prayer. Maybe he said this prayer 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Or maybe he said it the week before, hoping for a miracle. But the answers come. Maybe the answer came seemingly 20 years too late. It's like, uh, you know that menopause thing happened a long time ago. <laughs> and it's not going to happen for us. And we had prayed and God isn't apparently did, said no, right? So let me go on. <clears throat> Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. This is verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Isn't that incredible? Angel came to you and said, your kid is going to be great before God. Wouldn't it just be nice if, you know, an angel came to you and said, your kid is going to be totally handsome, perfectly healthy, and it's going to go to, like, Stanford. <laughs> wouldn't that be just good enough, right? But better, your child is going to be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, from, the, from as a baby. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah is considered the great and quintessential prophet. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I just want to just say that for a moment. We just read these things. It just kind of goes right through there. It's like Christmas by tradition, Christmas by religion. But he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You know, earlier this year, in 2021, and toward the end of 2020, many of you guys heard me preach a series of somewhat painful and difficult messages on justice. And inside those messages, I talked about fatherlessness. 
So it's not a small thing. It says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's an important part of justice. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. A lot of people don't tend to think that Christmas is about justice. Oh, it's about justice. It's very much about justice. The way God sees it. All right? Verse 18. But it gets interesting after this because Zechariah <laughs> doesn't seem to quite believe what he just heard. Would you? Um, if my wife had gone through menopause some number of years back, and now I'm getting a word from an angel, I'm not sure I'd believe it even then. Although you probably should believe it if it's an angel saying it to you, right? And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Sometimes people, we modern people think, Oh, those people a long time ago, you know, they all just believed in miracles, so they believed in all these fables and myths, right? I think they know when menopause happens. It's pretty clear. Verse 19, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> Basically saying, you know who I am? <laughs> this is who I am, all right? Let me tell you what, who, who I am. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple so the priest isn't coming out. What's going on here? Why are we like behind time? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. I, isn't that pretty crazy if I came out? I'm supposed to do my job, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing this? And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That's the way she put it. That's in the Bible. To take away my reproach among people. Now I'll just say, let me just say a little, uh, two things quickly before I go to part two. That's an ancient word, and you're talking about secular narratives, what, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? In, in this whole passage, chapter 1, I want to tell you about two secular narratives that this beautiful couple lived under, right? There's two narratives. The world says this is, a, the, this is the true story of the world, and this is who you are inside this story. So the first one is that they're Jewish. They're Hebrews. They're a conquered people. They're an oppressed minority. They're despised. And who are who is the people that runs the runs the world? Who are the powerful? This is the Romans, and they are they're not just they're not just uh, like an oppressed people. They live in the part of the empire that the Romans hate. Okay, like today, I, I, I'm trying to think of like what would be the equivalent in America. Like, um, I think it'd be something like hillbilly country or something. 
Like maybe it's West Virginia or something like that. Or a, a really forgotten place like South Dakota or something. Although I don't know if we, in America, if you know, the, the powerful people don't even think about South Dakota, so I don't even know if that counts. Right? Maybe it's more like West Virginia. But it's actually even worse than that because the Romans really despised the Jews. They didn't just despise them because they thought that they were like a backward people. They actually despised them for their religion. Because the Romans said, we accept all the gods. And these people have two things which really stand out, which we really hate. One is they only believe their God, and they believe their, their God's the only God. So it's exactly the same as today. Christianity is despised because we say that there's only one God, and there's only one way to that God, and it's through Jesus. That's really offensive today. And that's absolutely offensive to the Romans back then. That's number one. Number two, guess what else they, they didn't like them? Because the Romans were sexually decadent. And they thought that fertility was the way to be toward riches. All throughout the ancient world, sex represents fertility because money is about animals and cattle and your plants growing. So if you get more cattle, more animals, more plants growing, then you go to the temple and you do sleep with temple prostitutes or at least you pay them to sleep for you. And that's the common thing. That's the sexual ethic. And so the, the prosperity and the sexuality are all totally like you know, wrapped together religiously, theologically. And you have this weird and special people who have this strange word that says, no, that's wrong. That sexuality is wrong. That's really offensive to our God, and we are not going to be like that. And so, you know, it's not like they were just tolerant. Like, we have a different sexual ethic, and everybody else can be like, well, you just kind of do what you do. That's not the way the Romans saw it. The Romans were like, you're disgusting. You're bad. That's the first thing. They're Jewish. Now, it doesn't say so so much in the, the passage that I read to you, but I want you to notice that there are passages in uh, what our brother read that when Zechariah, when he finally gets to speak, so his son is born, and then he says this thing that, that, um, that, that, that is our passage today. And he says things like, you know, there'll be a day. Oh, where is it? Got the right passage here. It says, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. That's his hope. And if you're Jewish and say you have no chance to stand up against the Romans, you're a totally downtrodden and oppressed people. They hate you as a minority. Your skin color might look pretty similar to them, but they still hate you. And you can feel this thing that you're a minority despised for your ethnicity, for your race, for your religion, for your sexuality and your morality. Okay, that's the first one. Okay? Second reason, and this is interesting. Inside of their culture, so this isn't from the Romans, inside of their culture, there's a, different sec, there's a different narrative of the world, which is that if you are going to be a good Jewish person, you get married and you have kids. And if you don't have kids, you're not helping us to grow as a people. And you're not a good mom and you're not a good dad. In fact, you're not even a good Jew. How about that? You're not a fulfilled woman. You're not a successful man. There's that. And you could feel this thing. 
They did not have children. Your prayers have been answered. And it says toward that latter portion, oh, the Lord has taken away my reproach. That's what Elizabeth, the wife, says. Right? So the Bible is very economical its words, but in, three, in, like, in just a short number of passages, three times you're reminded that because we couldn't have kids, we are looked down upon and we feel bad about our lives. So here's the first thing I want to say to you. I don't know which narrative you live in. You know, years ago, <clears throat> we had, um, you know, there was, a, there, 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 was, there was a sister in our church, and she was wrestling with, you know, like infertility issues. Actually, I've had, I've had multiple in this church over the times. You know, our church comes out of like a previous church, and during that time when I was pastoring that, I, I experienced this. And I was like, what could I say to you know, the couples in our church who are wrestling inside this pain, and we got the Christmas, and I was like, there it is! That's incredible! God cares. And Christmas is a bigger story than whatever the culture tells you makes you a good woman. And even if the people who say that to you are good, pious Christians, or so that's a kind of, that's a, kind of a conservative narrative, Right? And in, in, in churches, oftentimes the, the narratives can be conservative, and yet they're still man-centered. They're still secular. It's of the world, it's not from God. Right? And yet Christmas has something so much more to say. Right? And so that's the first thing I want to say to you today. What may be are this, is the story from the world that you're infected with and you're maybe feeling downtrodden or you're feeling anxious. And I want to say to you, it's Advent. Maybe you should doubt that story. There's something more going on. And Christmas has something more to say than Santa Claus or we're going to get together with our family. But it's something about the meaning of your life, okay? Let's go to part two. <clears throat> I want to talk about this portion where it says darkness. Now, the latter, the latter portion of the passage says, this is what Zechariah says. So, by the way, you know, he, like for months, <laughs> for months, he can't talk, right? So I don't even know how he, went, he did his job. I, I said, you could just do the parts where you, nobody has to talk, right? Today, that would be pretty tough as a pastor, right? I, like, I guess I'm just going to show up and help do the setup crew, right? Um, but that's what he did. And... Um, and after his son is born, and they said, what is his name going to be? And his wife says, his name's going to be John. <laughs> and uh, I guess somehow, you know, because she, the, 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 she didn't hear this message. So she said, John, they said, nobody in your family's named that because that's what you typically do. And so then finally when they went to the father, you know, his mouth opened up and he said, no, his name's going to be John. And then he said this incredible thing. And, it, and toward the back end of this, he says this. This is verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. See, there we go. So he understands exactly the role John the Baptist is going to have. In so many ways, I feel like every pastor, every preacher is John the Baptist. 
There's this thing that John the Baptist says when, he, when he's uh, finally in his ministry. He says that I will become less. He says, there's going to be one coming, and I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. <laughs> and I will be less, and he will be more. And um, often as a pastor, I think, that's exactly my job. <laughs> I'm not even unworthy. I'm not even worthy to touch Jesus' shoes. <laughs> and may he be more and I be less. Right? So in one sense, all of you, so this is a kind of a funny way of putting it, you all have a John the Baptist. You're looking at yours. You're looking at one version of him, and then we have another guy, his name is another John the Baptist, because his name is John. I mean, he's young. And then we have another John, uh, John the Baptist, his name is Joe. You have God gives you John the Baptist. And we get to pave the way for Christmas. So I'm doing that job right now. I'm doing it right now. And listen to what he says. What is John the Baptist supposed to do? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That's your hope. I'm giving you knowledge of salvation for you as God's people in the forgiveness of your sins. And he says, verse 78, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So here's something I want to say. How dark is it? How dark is it if you only believe what the, tell, the world tells you you are? Um, my son worked really hard. I mean, he's a Korean-American boy who goes to Cupertino High School. So he worked really, really hard in high school. He worked really, really hard to get a good SAT score. You know, on his third shot, he got the score he really, really wanted, okay? And then he, and then he applied to college, and he didn't get into any of the ones he wanted. And then he, he actually made his decision not to go into big debt to go to one of the colleges he did get into, which would have been a really good college, but was just been super expensive for us. And he decided, let's go to De Anza, which is the junior college down the street, which is one of the considered the best junior colleges. But to a Korean-American boy, that's just a tough pill. I've got to go to JC after working so hard in high school. And you know, it didn't bother me. I was thinking, this will be good for you. And I'll tell you, this, this is what happened. So some of you remember this portion. It was a couple weeks before our church did our church launch two years ago. And um, my father-in-law, Grace's father, had a massive stroke and he passed away. And um, I asked my son, I asked my children, would you like to fly out to the East Coast for the funeral? And Hudson was very, very conflicted because he would have to fly out right at the beginning of the term. And at the beginning of the term, it's a, it's a really popular school. If you don't show up to class, you won't get your class. And so he was really nervous that he wouldn't get the classes he needed. 
And he said these words, I still remember it like it was yesterday. He says, I feel like that, like that, this is like my last chance. That's the words he used. My last chance. In other words, if I don't get into college this time, I, I, I won't have a good life. I won't have a good life. It's my last chance. I looked at him and I said, it's not your last chance. <laughs> now some of you are going, that's kind of a nice, cute story, isn't it? Is it cute? <laughs> How was it for you when you were 17 or 18 or 19? Didn't it feel like the world would end? Because the story the world told you, I mean, my wife and I would tell him, this is not going to define you. We would say that to him and say that to him and say that to him. But somehow because we have an Asian face and because we have like hundreds of years of Asian, <laughs> of Asian values that say what school you get into says what you are worth. It's not like my parent, like my wife and I cannot defeat an Asian face and hundreds of years of those values, and he can't. He seems to not be able to defeat it either. And then it's it, then he goes to a school where he's surrounded by South Asians and East Asians. And they all have those values too. So the world has a story for him, and inside that story, he's losing. And if you ask me, don't you think that's pretty dark? That's pretty dark. And so, some of you are like, that's a great story. I'm past that. Are you? Are you? It's a story just changes when you're 25 or 35 or 45. Hudson's story, it's not different than Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. We're all Zechariah. We're all Elizabeth. We're all Hudson. And Christmas is this, right? Where the sun shall rise to visit us from on high and bring light into the darkness. I just want to ask you, right? You know, um, I've said this multiple times, and I'll say it one more time. Our culture is leaning hard on us, okay? It's leaning hard on everybody. Believe our story. Believe our story. Conform to our story. And depending on where you are in the country, you know, it's, it's strange. It used to be that politics in America was about freedom, and we had these, like, constitutional rights. And there's an ethic that comes out of our rights, which is people who disagree with you politically, and definitely people who disagree with you religiously, you should be tolerant. You should be civil. We should try to love them, especially at this time of year. And yet, I don't know, I don't hear that message at Christmas today. It doesn't feel that way. And so, if, if there's supposed to be a greater righteousness and a greater justice, which we all long for, I hope you long for it, if you don't long for it, and you call yourself a Christian, you're, you're bad, okay? Because God longs for it. God wants all his people to long for his justice. And 
I, I said to you during our justice series that we're all bad at it, that we all corporately, we have failed. There isn't just sins like, I didn't do anything bad to poor people, but, you know, we as a people, as a culture and as citizens, there's sins of commission, what we commit. There's also sins of omission, which we omit. How about just, I don't see them, I don't care about them. We just kind of go along with the way we do things, and they lose. Okay? I don't think God thinks that's innocent. God doesn't see that as innocent, because if 10% of the population cared, and then 20% of the population cared, and then 70% of the population cared, maybe hurting people wouldn't hurt as much. See? And so, but what if there's, isn't this thing from God, but the world cares about justice and equality and freedom and liberty? And the only way to get to that is, well, it's on us. We're going to do it. But the whole history of humanity, even when people want to do it, even when they have good intentions, they've never been able to do it. And today, well, today we'll be better. We're just going to do, we're, if we just have the right politics, if we get the right people in power, we'll be able to do it, right? No. And I want to say this to you. It doesn't matter whether you're on the left or whether you're on the right. The only way, if you think we're going to have the better, more just society through whoever wins in the election, I think we're just losing. Because really, Christmas is we get to love people who don't agree with us. <laughs> Jesus came to save his enemies. That's us. So, thankfully, the Lord came. And he came. He did not come with power, he did not come with politics, he did not come to condemn. He came and was born and put into the worst baby bed of all time. A manger, that's the way we put it, but a manger is a feeding trough. And he came to have his parents who were dirt poor. And he came into the most backward, despised part of the empire. And he came for humble people that his humility would disarm our righteousness and our warring and our anger so that our hope would be from a God who offers us his promises. So brothers and sisters, let's go to Christmas according to his promises, okay? So, pastor, how are you going to close this? Okay, here's the way I'm going to close this. I have too many pages today. All right. How can we be out of the darkness? Um, some of you know that I like Christmas songs. And um, if you read our recent email, I asked you, if you got a special Christmas song that you like, let me know. I'm going to add it to my Spotify list. So that song that Andy taught us these last couple weeks, that's going on my Spotify list. And I'm going to learn it so I can sing it better every year. Right? But I want to share, the way I want to close this message is I want to share with you a song I discovered only a couple years ago. And um, I might have mentioned this in the past, but, I, but um, 
It's a song called Someday at Christmas. Anybody know this song? Ooh, out of this group of people, none of you know this song. Someday at Christmas. All right? And uh, it, was, it came out in 1967. Here's another thing I love about Christmas. There's always new Christmas songs. We don't only have to sing Silent Night, Joy to the World, O Holy Night. We could sing a Christmas song that came out more recently, you know. You know, Mary, <laughs> did you know? That's a recent song. It's awesome. I love that song, right? But this is 1967. It was sung by the great Stevie Wonder. And this morning, I went on YouTube, and I was listening to him sing a, um, a duet with Andre Day, right? And when I, was, when I put, clicked it, and was watching it, and then it was Andre Day's turn to sing. I was like, oh, she, she, she's black. <laughs> I, I didn't know that, <laughs> right? So some of you are going like, oh, pastor, that's terrible. You're, you're so out of it. I, I didn't know that. I had no idea, right? Um, by the way, some of you, do you guys know that Stevie Wonder's black? Some of you are very young. <laughs> you, you might, who is Stevie Wonder? <laughs> okay, Stevie Wonder's black. He's, uh, he's still alive. Uh, I looked him up on Wikipedia. He's 71 years old, and he's recovering from kidney transplant. So let's pray for him. All right. He had that a little bit right before the pandemic. And here's the other thing that's um, incredible about Stevie. Wonder. I mean, he's black. You know, like there's lots of talented black singers. He's blind, <laughs> and he's written some of our most sang some of our most incredible songs, and he did it all while he was blind. He didn't write this song. He was actually written for him by a guy named Brian Wells and Ronald Miller. And what I'm going to do for you is, sorry, I'm going to sing a little, okay? I, I, I thought about just like letting you hear their version, which is so much better. But then YouTube would flag this video, and then it wouldn't be on our website. We'd have to take it down, and like that would like we need people to hear the gospel, okay? So you just got to suffer, <laughs> suffer me, because if I read it, that's so boring. Okay, so I'm going to give it a shot, and I'm going to sing the parts I like. Verse 3. There's a, I think there's five verses in this song. Verse 3. <clears throat> Someday at Christmas we'll see a land with no hungry children, no empty hand. One happy morning people will share a world where people care. How about that? A world where people care. Today, man, in the pandemic, how many people do you think feel that people care? Think about that. That's actually not the best verse. This is better. Someday at Christmas, there'll be no tears when all men are equal and no man has fears. One shining moment, one prayer away from our world today. You know, we were, um, when I was driving to church today, I was playing this in the car, and Elizabeth is a little scary. She was driving. <laughs> and she's driving, and while she's driving, she goes, is this person a Christian? <laughs> That's what she said. 
is this person a Christian? You know, there's an important verse in the Bible. Oh, do I have it? I thought I... There's an important verse in the Bible, and it's not actually about Christmas. It comes at the end of the Bible, and it's about Advent. It's about coming. And it's when Jesus comes again. It's Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Let me go to it, all right? It's in the second to the last chapter of the whole Bible, Revelation 21, verse 4. I'll I'll go back to verse 3, all right? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God will be with them. There's another place in the Bible where it says God will be with them. And it's talking about the Messiah, and his name will be, you guys know it, Emmanuel. His name will be Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. It's talking about God with us, coming. Here it's talking about the second coming. We're talking about Advent, though. First coming, second coming. And here's where it says in verse 4, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so, I don't know if these people, Brian Wells and Ronald Miller, or Stevie Wonder, is a Christian. Stevie Wonder grew up in a Baptist church. I don't know if he still really believes in Jesus. Right? Someday at Christmas, there'll be no tears when all men are equal and no man has fears. I might as well just quote Revelation 21, verse 4. One shining moment, one prayer away from our world today. Someday at Christmas, man will not fail. Hate will be gone and love will prevail. Someday a new world that we can start with hope in every heart. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming. Jesus, come. I don't know if these people know Jesus, but they're singing about Jesus. (laughs) Even my daughter, who doesn't know Stevie Wonder and doesn't know this song, 16-year-old girl hears this and goes, it's got to be about Jesus, isn't it? It's got to be. It's not someday at Kwanzaa. It's not someday at Hanukkah. And that's no offense to Kwanzaa or Hanukkah. I'm sure they're beautiful holidays. But this song is about coming. When one who will take away our sins and bring forgiveness, and there will be, we will be equal before him. And we will no longer live in injustice and there'll be no more fears this is what Christmas is about let's go to the table of the Lord Merry Christmas let's pray Lord 
Thank you for Brian Wells and Ronald Miller and Stevie Wonder and Andre Day. Even Justin Bieber sang this song with Stevie Wonder. <laughs> that amazes me. And even people who don't know you, they long for a good news, that the world will be made just. And there could be a story better than any world story, any secular story, that people who are weak and downtrodden, that they do not have to fear that we can live in holiness and righteousness. For we are not simply under Democrats or Republicans or even just the United States. We are under Jesus. He is our King. He is our Redeemer. And whatever stories of the world we tend to be in the darkness lost to, I pray in these next few weeks, Lord, the light, the sunrise of Christmas, the brightness of the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ would break through as we come to Christmas, Lord. And when we know that the promises of Christmas aren't just like me, I'm just going to have my sins forgiven and I get to go to heaven, but that a whole new world is coming, a world of beauty and splendor and genuine liberty and justice where all men and women, no matter how downtrodden or poor, will truly be free and equal before you. And we will laugh and sing and dance. And if there are tears, there are only tears of joy. Thank you that you came to give this to us. And help us to live inside this hope and faith and celebrate. As we go to your table now, bless us with Christmas hope, with gospel hope. In Jesus' name.